Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. On this episode, our adult discipleship pastor, Mark Taylor, continues in our series going through Galatians. If you would like to watch the video of this message or listen to this week's worship, you can do that on our website, brookwoodchurch.org, or you can find that on our Brookwood app. We pray that this message encourages you in your walk with Christ. feel like pressing and crushing sometimes, but God is doing a new thing. Let's pray together. God, we pause and we quiet our hearts as well as we know how. And we acknowledge your presence in this place. God, we pray that you would break down any obstacle that's between us and you, that we might hear your voice, that we might know you more personally, that we might live out the life that you've designed us to live. We surrender this time to you and pray you'd teach us and lead us and guide us, put thoughts in our mind and stir our hearts in ways that we can't do for ourselves. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we, uh, as we continue our series studying the book of Galatians, think to yourself for a moment, would you consider yourself more of a rule follower or a rebel? If you would consider yourself more of a rule follower, raise your hand. I knew better than to ask the rebels. Well, this uh, Galatians is a book in the Bible, and it's, it's really a letter by a man named Paul who had an astonishing experience with Jesus. You can read about that in Acts uh, chapter 9 and 26. And this letter was written to several churches in what is modern-day Turkey, which to me, as I'm studying this and reading this, feels like a long ways away and in a culture that I don't understand. And one of the core beliefs here at Brookwood is that God's word is timeless. And so we look to him and he still speaks to us today. And so hopefully today we can bridge some of the gap between the ancient culture and our world. You can see from this word cloud, what I've done here is I've copied and pasted all of the text from what we've studied so far in Galatians. And as you can see from this, hopefully, is that We've been considering what it looks like to live with Christ as the center of our lives. We've been considering what it really looks like to live by faith. And as Josh led us last week, we've considered what it looks like to live in the promise that God gave Abraham, even though it was over 4,000 years ago. And so as we step into today's message in our text, let's just check in, how's it going? How is life going for you? What does it look like for you to walk by faith? How does having a relationship with Jesus 
play itself out on an average Tuesday afternoon when the kids are crashing in and the work and the school and all that's going on in your life, how is it going for you? I can remember, even though it's been many years ago, Kathy and I visiting the Grand Canyon. And I remember walking up to the edge of it as far as she let me go. (laughs) I was always pushing the edge. And I remember not only being amazed by the beauty, but because of the depth of the canyon, I can remember the gravity just pulling the breath out of me. Being awestruck, that experience of being speechless, almost hard to breathe for a minute. Christianity was supposed to be like that for us. Christianity was supposed to be the most relieving, freeing news of all time. It was supposed to be the story that helps us make sense of everything. It was meant to be the way of healing and life and freedom. But as we'll see in our text today, for many of us, life is a little bit more like living in prison. Now, this sounds extreme at first, but let's listen to Paul's words as we begin in Galatians chapter 3, verse 23 where he says, before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. In this passage, Paul's not declaring that we've been given a life sentence. That comes from other passages and explained and carried through. His point here is that until Christ came, the experience of God's people was, in a very real sense, like being in prison. The the Jews had this tricky thing to navigate. They knew they were children of God, yet they lived under the law in such a way that these two phrases, under guard and protective custody, they carry the idea of being confined, restrained, like having an officer stand over you like having a jailer keeping constant watch over you. People have asked, and I've also often wondered, every time the, the Jewish people sinned, did they have to go kill a goat or a bull or do these sacrifices every time? Well, that would be a lot of walking back and forth uh, from their place to the altar. And so, but there were, the way the, the law was set up, the way the practices were set up, there were daily sacrifices and offerings, and there were weekly and monthly and even yearly sacrifices and offerings. And so the way it was set up, the law was a daily, even constant reminder to the people of how we are not capable to live the life that God designed us to live on our own. To the people living under this law, it was a a reminder of the brokenness of humanity. Now, it's, it's important to note here as you're studying through Galatians that Paul's talking about, in one sense, the large story of redemption, that there was a time before Christ in the grand story, and then Christ came in history, and then things were different. But he's also referring and trying to relate with us and relate to the Galatians how This is also our personal experience. There's a life without Christ. There's a a life when Christ comes in and then things are different. So he's talking both on this larger story, this grand scale 
sort of sense as well as this personal experience. He's speaking to the Galatians about their experience of relating to this Christ who came in. And so here's some questions, some practical questions for us to wrestle through about this idea of experiencing what it would be like to be in prison. Have you ever been in a place or a season of your life, maybe a period of days where all you can think about is what you've done wrong? What are you living under these days? Have you ever been overwhelmed by the gap between the life you know God designed you to live and who you've become. And this isn't just for people who are outside of the Christian faith, for people before stepping into a relationship with God. I can clearly tell you about times since I've come to know Jesus where I've said things and thought things and done things that have been haunting, that have been days for me to get out from under. What patterns for you What habits are you maybe in now? Maybe a deep sense of anger. I find that a lot of men are deeply angry. Addictions, pornography, those are habits, patterns that we get into. Maybe the desperate need to try to control everything. What patterns or habits which are essentially violations from the way we were created, have developed in your lives in such a way that you feel like you'll never get out from under. No matter how many times you've said, I won't go back to the computer for that or go to the bar for that. No matter how many restrictions you've put on yourself, it feels like a prison. Where do you go with your guilt and shame? One of the horrifying things about prison is isolation. It's one of the reasons why they do that is because it's horrifying. Do you ever feel deeply alone in this journey? You ever look around and think everyone else has it together, it must just be me? If you feel deeply alone today, if you feel the gap between the life you know God created you to live based on the instructions and the guidance and the commands and the demands that he's given us, if you feel that gap between the life God designed for you to live and who you've become, if you feel weighed down in sin and feel like the burden is too much to carry, it can feel like a prison under guard and you need to know if that's you today, that the way of faith has come. It's been fully realized, fully unveiled in Jesus and you don't have to live under that anymore. Jesus has bought your freedom and it's time to come home. Now, some of you sitting here may not relate to this idea of living in prison, but I'm guessing that many more of us are living under duty and obligation. Our lives are driven by behavior and performance. Paul continues in the text by saying, verse 24 here, he says, let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. And he uses another image here. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. 
Now this idea of being protected by these laws is a good thing because let's be honest, if there was no speed limit, we'd all be going 120 or 90 is about as fast as my car will go on the highway, right? If we didn't have rules and regulations hemming us in, we would all go wild, be taking things from wherever we want, whenever we want, right? So in some sense, that protection is good. It was customary for parents to have slaves or servants. They would hire them in to be guardians or um, kind of custodians. You think of kind of a nanny. And sometimes this oversight with this guardian was very harsh. But at the very least, even if it wasn't harsh, this idea of having a guardian for the child was a life of constantly being corrected, being kept in line, being told what is right and what is wrong. It's that constant, do this, do that. That's not the way to do it. This idea of guardian in this passage is like having a strict tutor or a schoolmaster or a disciplinarian constantly correcting you. You can think of, if you can picture a horse race where the horse is being beaten from behind or whipped, which from my research I'm finding, they're finding that that actually doesn't work uh, with horses. That actually slows the horses down some. That's a whole nother story but being whipped from behind and also being pulled from the, with the reins and the bridle to keep it moving and keep it going in the right direction. That's kind of the picture of this guardian. Now, this idea of living out of duty and obligation is not referring to taking responsibility for the things God has given you, for being grateful and owning what he's given you and working hard. Those are good things. This idea of having a guardian and how the law was operating in their lives has more to do with the motivation, why we do what we do, what our experience is of this life. And we've been talking in this series quite a bit about the law, being under law or being in faith. And I don't know about you, but sometimes that phrase under law, it's kind of foreign. It's kind of maybe a church concept that maybe if you've been in the church for a while, you've grown up with. But on a given Tuesday afternoon, I'm, worried, I'm not really worried about living under the law, that's not a problem. I mean, who here has a copy of the 613 commandments from the Old Testament framed on your living room wall where it's guiding your life and you feel under, under it? Anyone have that printed out? I do, but don't think I'm that spiritual. I just printed it out this week. So. And so when we refer to the law, or as Paul does in this uh, in, the, in the letter to the Galatians, he's referring to the Mosaic law. He's referring to uh, the Old Testament law, which comes forward as you read through, scattered throughout the Old Testament, these 613 commandments. And so in one sense, we're not real worried about it. Like who here, for example, on a given Tuesday afternoon is worried about affixing the mezuzah on the doorposts and gates of your house? I don't even know what that is. Who here, for example, this week was really worried about and felt oppressed by not gathering the Olaf? I don't know what that is either. Who here is worried about counting 49 days from the time of the cutting of the Omer? Right? Sometimes we say, oh yeah, I'm not under law, I'm walking by faith, and that seems foreign to us. But actually, if you were to read through these commandments, our hearts actually do resonate with a lot of them. All throughout here, it has things that we can relate to, that we are thinking about, that we do talk about in the church, like caring for our neighbors, 
living with integrity and honesty in ways that honor God, not wronging anyone with our words, not taking revenge. And so this idea of being under law actually isn't that far from us. And if, if you think about the way Jesus kind of retranslated and clarified those in the New Testament, we are thinking about the law and the commands and the demands and the things that are coming at us. I think this idea of being driven or controlled or always corrected and living in this life of duty and obligation, I think it also surfaces, not just from the commands and ideas that we understand from scripture, but I think it comes from the demands and expectations that other people put on us, many of which aren't even real. I think many of us, not only can we not live up to the things that are in the scriptures that we know we're supposed to be doing, many of us create demands and expectations for ourselves that God never even thought of. I think another way this experience of living out of duty and obligation, it surfaces when we compare ourselves with each other. We look at how good so-and-so is doing or what his life or her life is like. And so all of a sudden we're driven by this duty and obligation over-focused on performance behavior. And so here's the point with all of this. The Galatians were being told that their relationship with God was still based at least in part on their behavior. That's true of us a lot. We make the connection that somehow our relationship with God is still based on our behavior. Paul continues developing this idea in verse one of chapter four. He says, think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than the slaves until they grow up even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians. They're living by this obedience until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. And the way for many of us, even though Christ has come, we're still living like that. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. You hear that? Living as slaves to principles of how things are supposed to work, overly driven by behavior and performance disproportionately to how God wants us to live. So how can you tell if this is you? How can you tell if you're overly driven by duty and obligation? Well, one of the signs that you're living driven out of duty and obligation is that you find yourself too busy to spend time with God. In other words, your work for God has squeezed out your life with God. Another way you can tell that your life is driven primarily by duty and obligation if the word should is in your regular vocabulary. Oh, I should be praying more. I know I should be reading my Bible more. I know I should be reaching out to my neighbor. And many of you should be doing that. Many of you should be giving to the church because you receive ministry here. Many of us should be doing more, but never because of Christ out of duty and obligation and guilt to cover up shame. Never out of that. My son told me about an article he read. It's a growing phenomenon. Maybe this will help connect some of this with you. There's a growing phenomenon with high school athletes. 
where for since childhood and growing up, these athletes would play for the love of the game. But sometimes, for many of these high school athletes, sometime during the freshman, sophomore, junior year, they lose the love of the game, but they can't stop being a part of it. Either they feel like they need to do it to get the scholarship, or they're afraid to be done with the sport because of what their friends will say. And so rather than living out of the love for the sport, kind of intrinsically, they have these extrinsic pressures. And so they end up doing it out of duty and obligation and they get burnt out. Another sign that you're living life primarily driven by duty and obligation is that you feel like you need to go do something good to make up for something you did bad or said that was wrong. And so many of us live with these scales and as long as the scale of good stuff, however much that is, weighs more than the scale of the bad stuff, however we measure that, as long as that the scales are like this, then we feel good about ourselves. That's actually a lot more like Islam and Catholicism, but not true Christianity, those idea of scales. Another sign that you can tell your life is driven kind of as a guardian correcting you and telling you what to do is that you live from a checklist rather than in a relationship with God. Okay, I've prayed today, check. I've read the Bible today, check. I've gone to church this week, check. And you feel better, but it's a checklist and you can do all of these things and still miss God. In fact, even those Bible reading plans, which can be really helpful and really beautiful and kind of keep you on track, can become duty and obligation, right? Because you feel guilty if you've missed it for a few days, or you feel like you have to get through all three chapters instead of maybe God's wanting to stop you three verses in and speak to you about that. And so we live by these checklists. Here's another way you can tell you're living primarily out of this duty and obligation is that you're tired a lot from the working and the going. Now there's seasons of our lives that are busier than others. Somehow, not sure how it happened, Kathy and I ended up with four kids about a year and a half apart. Life is busy. Life has been busy for 20 years. But our general way of life, as many responsibilities as we've been given, our general way of life, our daily routine was never meant to be waking up, hitting the to-do list, which is endless, going to sleep and waking up to do it again the next day. And if that's your life, you can tell you're living primarily out of duty and obligation, behavior and performance. Here's the truth. God does not call us to a life we don't have time for. Years ago, Thomas Merton wrote these words. To allow yourself to be carried away by a multitude of conflicting concerns, to surrender to too many demands, to commit yourself to too many projects, to wanna help everyone in everything and try to be everything for everyone is to succumb to violence. Can you relate to this? Striving, going, running. If so, you're living primarily disproportionately out of behavior and performance and duty and obligation. And in 
many ways, that's what the law created for the people in the Old Testament. Now, you, you may be here today and you're not resonating with this idea of living in a prison or living out of duty and obligation. You might be here and you're just lazy. I'm not pointing my finger at anyone. I'm just saying it's a hypothetical reality. Maybe you're here and you just don't like feel like doing stuff. Maybe you're here and you're antagonistic. Maybe you're here and you're just mildly curious about this Christian thing. Whatever your life is like, no matter what you've done or not done, no matter what you bring in here as your assumptions of what Christianity is, you need to know that more than anything in the entire universe, God is inviting us to live as his sons and daughters. This is a little bit longer part of the passage, but just settle in and listen to these beautiful words. Galatians 3, beginning in verse 25. Now that the way of faith has come, fully realized, fully available, fully unveiled in Christ, now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. The Old Testament says when you step into a relationship with God on this side of Christ, his law is written on our hearts. So we're not living under it, we're living out of it. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ. For all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham, receiving the promise that God's gonna do amazing things in you and wants to do amazing things through your life. You are his heirs and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you and me. Continuing in Galatians 4, 4, but when the right time came, God sent his son born of a woman subject to the law. Oftentimes and through here, we've been saying you're not saved by works. That's actually not true. You're saved by works but you're saved by the works of Christ because we couldn't accomplish them. His works, it goes on to say, God sent him to buy our freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And one of the cool things about being adopted into God's family is you're not just moving a kid from this place to this place. When we're adopted into God's family, we're born again. So biologically, spiritually, it's as if we were part of the family all along. Because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father, which is a very tender yet also agonizing cry. It's, it's tender like a son and a daughter to a father, but it's also kind of the cry of a, a kid who's just fallen off his bike and bloodied his knees. It's a crying out to God says, now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Jesus is our older brother and he came to find us and bring us home. Here's what I'm learning and from this text, what it looks like to live as a son or daughter of God. Because how would you know if that's becoming true of your life? Well, 
one of the signs you're living as a son or daughter of God is that you're experiencing intimacy with God. This idea, he says, you are all one in Christ. And this phrase, in Christ, was very dear to Paul. He used it over 160 times in his letters as he wrote in the New Testament. It's this idea of being united in union so that we're so intertwined intimately with Christ that his life is becoming our life. See, many of us know how to become a son or a daughter. We know how to behave like a son or a daughter, but what would it look like to feel like a son or a daughter? Not only experiencing intimacy with God, but one of the signs and one of the ideas coming from this text is that we would be experiencing intimacy with each other. It says you are all one in Christ and the reality is you cannot belong to Christ without belonging to Christ's community. It's his body, so we are together in this. You can tell that this is happening because church is becoming family to you. That you're developing deep, abiding, meaningful, spiritual relationships with people that you would miss if you had to move away. I remember my experience in seminary. I was about a year in and I was sitting in class and I can still halfway picture it. I looked around the room and I thought, no one really knows me. No one really knows what's going on and I don't really know anyone else. I was going through the classes and such and I thought I could move away from seminary, go find my church job, whatever it is, and I wouldn't miss anyone and I thought that is not good. One of the signs you're living and growing as a son or a daughter is not only that you're experiencing a sense of intimacy, but you're living from a new identity. It says we've put on Christ like new clothes the idea is that we're seeing ourselves through God's eyes as he sees us when he looks at us rather than finding our identity in what other people think of us or our job titles or how much money we have or what kind of car we drive or how well our kids are behaving. We have an identity that comes from Christ. Men, you were meant to receive strength and identity that comes from God alone and then go live that into your family. We're not supposed to find our identity in what we go do or what we accomplish. We have a new identity that comes from his spirit living within us. Moms, especially moms with young children, I know you wonder if all of those loads of laundry and all of the cutting of the chicken nuggets, all of those seemingly meaningless small tasks really make a difference and are really supposed to be what you're supposed to be doing, you need to know that every effort, every act of love toward your kids, no matter how big or no small or how small, is beautiful in God's eyes and he delights in you as you do them. Interesting thing about when you go to jail is they take all of your belongings and they put them in a bag. And then if you're lucky enough to get out of jail, they give you the bag back so that you can have your clothes and such. Christianity is not like that. 
When you get out of jail, when Jesus sets you free, you get a new identity, you get new clothes, you get a new fingerprint, a new passport, and you're a new person. One of my favorite passages in studying for this message comes from Isaiah 62, four. Listen to these beautiful words where God says, never again will you be called the forsaken city, the desolate land, but your new name will be the city of God's delight and the bride of God. For the Lord delights in you and will claim you as his bride. And so as sons and daughters, we may end up doing a lot of the same things, carrying out the same responsibilities, but it just comes from a different place. Another sign that you're growing as a a son or a daughter to God is that divisions between you and other people are beginning to disappear. He says there's no longer slave or free, Jew or non-Jew, insider or outsider. So we're starting to see people as human beings rather than categorizing, stereotyping. We're beginning to see each other as fellow sojourners just trying to work this thing out and connect with God. And yes, we're all in different places. Another sign that you're, comes right out of this text that you're living as a son or a daughter is that you're living out of a sense of feeling provided for. We are his heirs, his heirs. So living, feeling provided for rather than out of scarcity. Do you ever feel like you don't have enough to do what God's called you to do and that somehow God's holding out on you? You're feeling like you have what you need so you're able to give freely to others. That's a sign of receiving God and receiving being an heir. And oftentimes we think, oh, that means inheritance. Great, how much money do I get? This really, this idea of being an heir doesn't have so much to do with money as it does being provided for, being taken care of. When someone would pass on and they would leave their inheritance to the next family member, they wouldn't have to worry about their way of life because they'd be provided for. When Jesus Christ died, he gave us everything as an inheritance because he's the creator of everything that is. And that doesn't mean we get it all now and you can just pray and he'll drop a box of cash on your front door, but it means we can live as if we're provided for rather than out of scarcity. One of my favorite stories is told by John Eldridge. His boys are grown now, married, kids, but anytime they come home, he says anything in my fridge and they just go ransack his house. They take his fishing poles and he says, everything I have is yours, whatever you want, take back to your family. That's the feeling of being an heir and being a son or daughter of God. This last sign here, this is pretty obvious, but you can tell that you're growing and living as a son or a daughter of God because you're, it's, you're experiencing God as father. More than just an abstract idea. More than something distant. It says God's spirit, so close, it was poured into us and out of that spirit, we can cry out, Abba, Father, so Experiencing God as father means you don't have to figure this life out on your own. You ever feel like that? Like it's all up to me to figure this out? You have a father walking with you and it would be absolutely cruel for me to tell my kids, good luck, hope it works out for you. 
right? We have a father who wants to pour wisdom and guidance and truth and bring healing. One of the things I'm experiencing as I grow, experiencing God as father is I find that I'm running to him more often as a father. One of my friends sent me this quote this past week and he says, it says, religion says I messed up, my dad's gonna kill me. But the gospel says I messed up, I need to call my dad. So let me ask you, where are you? Are you feeling the weight of the prison today? Are you living out of this duty or obligation disproportionately? Or are you experiencing and growing as a son or a daughter of God? See, one of, the, one of the cool things when Adam and Eve sinned, that wasn't cool, but when they did that, God didn't say you need to go to church more. There wasn't a church. You need to read your Bible more. The Bible hadn't come yet. What did God say? He said, where are you? And he's asking us the same question today. Where are you? What is your experience of this life like? Come home to me. Through the perfect sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus, we are now invited to live as sons and daughters of God. There's some recommended reading in your message guide. Let me strongly encourage you, especially that Abba's Child by Brennan Manning, if you wanna grow and experiencing and feeling what it looks like to live out being God's beloved, that's a great book. I almost said you should read it, but let me just encourage you to consider reading it. Out at Ministry Spotlight today, our care ministries, as Jean mentioned, they're offering a journey, some training in the area of care, but this, this journey that they offer is uh, will help you deepen your relationship with God and also equip you to be able to care for others and lead them into these growing relationships with God. We've got a, if you wanna grow as a son or a daughter, we have a new discipleship program called Essentials. Information is in your program. And for the first time in a long time, another place where you can grow, experiencing relationships, experiencing intimacy with God and each other, our men are having what we're calling the men's advance. And it's a time this October, toward the end of October for, it's limited space, but it's open to all men. Uh, first come, go ahead and register. But it's a time for men to unplug from the matrix, to connect with God and connect with each other and grow in these ways. And if you, you're here today and you'd like to talk with someone or pray with someone, we're gonna have some awesome people up front and also in our care connection room who would love to spend some time with you and just talk through some of this stuff. Let me encourage you to do that. Let's pray together. God, we long to live as your sons and daughters, but we need your help. We wanna to come to know you as the fierce, merciful, gracious, compassionate, patient Father more fully in this next week. And so we pray you'd come. And again, I pray, God, you would break down any obstacle that's in the way between us and you, that you would surprise us with your presence, that you would overwhelm us by your spirit in our hearts. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways that you can do that is by getting connected here at Brookwood. 
If you would like to know more about the many ways that you can connect with Christians at Brookwood, or if you just have questions about who we are, you can email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call us at 864-688-8326. You can also find our message archives on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day. Thank you.